thinking um, the other day about how blessed I am to be the pastor of this church because a pastor of a church of our church, the community of people that are, if you look around, let's look around, look around at each other, you know, there's a lot of different type of people here. There's people now, I hate to say this, we're kind of like, I was going to say multicultural, but we kind of like all generally look alike. Some people look a little bit different. You're the cool ones. Uh, but uh, we have people that, you know, that work at all kind of different jobs. We have doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. And, no, we don't have any of those. And uh, we have people that uh, work, in, uh, farmers, people that are carpenters, and they're all kind of jobs. You know, do different things as I'll look around. People that uh, aren't the same, but uh, we come together uh, to celebrate what God's doing in our lives. And, and in doing so, what happens is, is uh, God blesses us and guides us, but... But there's, uh, even though we're different in many ways, uh, there's something that uh, no matter who you are, if you're here and you're checking us out, somebody invited you to church uh, for the Christmas season, and you came, and if you don't, you kind of don't even know who Christ is yet, you're kind of checking him out as well. The, the reality is there's something I think about all of us today that, that I know that's, that's true of all of us. And you're going like, well, pastor, really, I don't think, you know, that there's something that all of us have in common. Well, I think there's several things, but one in particular I want to talk about today. And that is this, and that is that none of us like to be stuck. You like to be stuck in something? I mean, the other day I was, I was over on War Memorial, and I was driving down War Memorial, and, and then I went off of some side street to go somewhere, and we come to a stoplight, and it was one of those ones where, and, 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 the, and the light changed, and I was behind this lady. And, and she just sat there. The light changed. And, and I was trying to be real nice. I flashed my lights at her. And then she didn't go. And obviously what she was doing, she must be texting or, or tweeting or something, you know. And so what happened is she kind of finally, and then finally I hit on the horn, you know, because I was trying to be courteous and not be too, ex, you know, excitable. But uh, she finally left just as the light changed. And I prayed for her after that. I prayed all kinds of things for her after that that probably were not correct. But the reality is, is sometimes, you know, I don't like to be stuck because I'm not the most patient person in the world like you are. And I thought about uh, recently how, you know, uh, when I was thinking today about this whole message, I was thinking about how the one time that I literally, we got stuck, uh, about four years ago, I had the privilege of going to Africa, and uh, we actually got stuck. Uh, There's some pictures. Let me show you a couple of pictures of Africa. This was the vehicle we traveled in. I have a new appreciation for crummy Toyota pickups, okay? This pickup, we traveled hundreds of miles in Africa in the outback in. Uh, it's a diesel pickup. It had about 180,000 miles on it when we got in, and I'm going like, oh my gosh, we're never going to make it. We went everywhere all, all over here, because it showed the next picture. The next picture is, many times, we, there was, when we went in the outback or out in the, uh, in the bush, uh, we had to go through rivers, you know, because there's no bridges. And so we, sometimes we did that. But one time I particularly show the next slide. It's the last slide you have to endure. Um, this was actually a dry creek bed. Now, this picture doesn't do it justice because as you go down, you see the tr- truck coming down a hill. And this is one of the other uh, people that uh, got on the other side. As we were coming down the hill, what happened to this place, it was traumatic for all of us, okay? We got down to the place, and we got stuck, in this dry creek bed. We got down to the bottom, and you can't really tell here. I realize that now because it looked a lot better in person. But it had these giant rocks down, these giant boulders down there that were kind of hidden by a bunch of stuff that had fallen over top of it. And Steve Nelson, who was our, our uh, he was a missionary, he took us and went to this place. He, he got down there, and he was, man, he was doing everything to get this thing out of there. And I didn't think we were ever going to get out of there. And, you know, we got stuck. 
We started praying. We started doing everything. And we're miles. Um, we're hours. We're hours from the closest place, village even, not just town, village. And we're going like, if we get stuck here, we're never going to find our way out. But we got stuck. And the reality is, is uh, so many of us today, and we're going to talk about this, so many of us are stuck. We're stuck. We're not, I mean, not stuck in a, a ditch in Africa, but we're stuck in a bad relationship. We're stuck in a bad job. We're stuck in a bad financial situation. We're stuck in a rut. We're stuck. Uh, many people here would, uh, today would describe their life as stuck. And we even live in a world that seems like it's stuck in a cycle of the same stuff. How many of us can probably guess what the news cycle is going to be in the next week? Do you think there's going to be a terrorist attack somewhere in the next week? Probably so. Somewhere in the world. Do you think there's going to be something about a politician uh, coming up and being crooked or something like that in the next week? Uh, probably so. Do you think it's going to, you know, you just go, we just go through this cycle. You can almost tell what the news is going to be before you turn it on. It seems like we have no hope because we keep going through the same stuff all the time. And, and we ask the question, will it ever get better? Last week we talked about, in the first week of the series, we talked about the whole thing of, 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 of finding hope. And that's one of the things that we need in our world. If we're going to get unstuck, we need to, uh, to answer God in a way that's, that's we talked about last week. And the, the one word answer that we need to do to get unstuck, sounds simple, but it's a little harder, is this word. The word yes. Yes. Now we talked about this last week and what it means. If we're going to get unstuck, we need to say yes to God's plan for our life and the direction he has for us. We're going to talk today about a yes that changed the world. A yes that changed the world. You're going to like, yeah, a yes that changed the world? Yes, we are. So if you have your Bibles in whatever format you have them in, uh, turn to them, flip to them, turn them on, do whatever it is you do to get your Bible up, and turn to Luke chapter 1. You're going like, if you grew up in a church, you knew that Luke chapter 1 has a lot to do with the story of Christmas. And so we're actually going to, you know, last week we talked about Zacchaeus. And, uh, and this week we're talking about somebody we know, a lady named Mary. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse uh, uh, 26, and we're going to follow, follow along. Now, let me, let me just share with you a little bit about the background of this passage. Uh, the macro, macro version of this is this. The nation of Israel was stuck. They were politically stuck because they were ruled by Rome. They saw no hope because Rome was so powerful, and all they had was the opportunity ahead in their life was to be ruled by these people. They've been ruled by numerous people, but now they were ruled by Rome. Spiritually, they were stuck. When we read this story in Scripture in Luke, there had been about a 400-year period in, in the history of the, of the Israelite people where they had heard nothing from God. There had been no prophecies. There had been nothing, no word from God uh, uh, that, that they had consistently before this time. Now, in the micro version of the story, that was the, the, the big version. In the micro version of the story, there's this person in the story called Jesus. They're called Jesus who came into the world, uh, but his mother uh, comes into the story. And what is Jesus' mother's name? We all know this, right? Thank you. Okay, I just wanted to see if you're awake this morning. To see, I gave you an easy one to start off with. Mary. Okay, Mary is in the story. Jesus' is mother. Now, the thing is, and we just sang a song about her. Mary, did you know? That was a hint. Uh, so we could all know how to you know, answer the question. You thought, you thought it was hard. It wasn't really. Okay. And, and the thing was, Mary uh, was stuck in a sense. Now, think about Mary. We, we, we make Mary out to be this 
this story about Mary, this warm, fuzzy story about everything being perfect in her life. And, and, and there's this thing in Scripture where she does this song of Mary. And, she, uh, and, and, and we read that and we think everything was great. But think about the story of Mary. Mary was stuck because Mary was in a town called Nazareth. I was in Nazareth about three weeks ago. And Nazareth is, is still not very impressive. In Jesus' day, probably Nazareth had anywhere between 100 and 400 people. It was a little, what we call in the south, a hick town. Any of you from a hick town? A one-horse town? What did usually people in those kind of towns usually say about, when I grow up, I am going to get out of here. That's what everybody says that grows up in a hick town, okay? Because there's no jobs, there's nothing to do. There's, it's kind of what, that's, that's what Nazareth was, Okay? And so we see um, Mary in Nazareth in the hick town of, of, of a small world. She was stuck there. She was stuck in, all, in an arranged marriage. In an arranged marriage. Uh, how, many of you, how many teenagers do we have here? Do we have any teenagers? They don't usually get up in first service, but I praise you. Okay. You know, we usually, second service is most of the teenagers because most of the guys don't get up. You guys are good. Let me ask you, those of you who are teenagers, how would you like it if your parents arranged for your marriage. <laughs> they come home someday. They come home someday. Some of them are going, yeah, that'd be cool. You must really trust your parents is all I can say. Because you come home one day from school and they're going like, hey, guess what? I've arranged your marriage and you don't know the person, but I think it's going to be a good person. So Mary had this arranged marriage. Uh, and, and, and so she comes home and, and it's not like we do today. It's not like Mary met Joseph at Starbucks. And they sit around and talk to each other and look into each other's eyes and, you know, and then they, you know, they fall in love and the whole deal and whatever. No, this was an arranged marriage. You know, come home, the two families get together. They say, okay, I got a, I got a son and you got a daughter. I think they'd fit together. We're going to do this. And that's, that was the deal. It was very common in that day to have arranged marriages. And I'm sure that Mary asked when she got home, she started asking questions about this guy that she was arranged to be married to. She probably asked the question, I don't know if she was shallow like most of us, she probably said, is he good looking? And the answer probably was, well, he's got a great personality. <laughs> you know what that means, right? You ever been out on a blind date? If you're, if you're smart, you don't go out on blind dates. The, the reality is, you know, they always, when they say that, you know, they're like, oh. You know, or she probably said, does he make lots of money? Does he, does, does he have a really good job? Is he a doctor? Is he a lawyer? You know, something like that. It, well, no, he's got a good steady job. He's a carpenter. Mary Fetz felt stuck. She was in Nazareth in a Hicktown, getting in arranged marriage, uh, going to get married to Joe the carpenter. That was her deal. And then we step into her story. So let's look at scripture, what it says about Mary here in her stuckness here. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now this is a story that's already, that's already been in Scripture a little bit, and, and, and uh, we're not really going to cover that today, but it kind of goes back to another story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, remember that hick town, a town in Galilee, and here we, we read this first part, and we see that Mary thought probably, she didn't feel like she was close to God, she probably felt like she was far away from God. She felt stuck. But guess what? It says that God sent what? An angel to there. And when we come to discover that God sends this angel to talk to Mary, God knew exactly where Mary was. She, it wasn't that God had not connected with Mary, but, but God was, was, was setting her up 
for something that was going to happen in her life. He was setting her up for a miracle. Sometimes when you and I feel stuck in our situation and we feel like God is not listening to us, maybe what God is doing is he is waiting for us to get to the place where we will depend upon him. And that's what God was doing. Then verse 27, it says, uh, God sent these angels, Gabriel took Nazareth, a town of Galilee. Then verse 27, to a, come on, you can say the word. This is church. You can say that word. Come on, we, I know we as Christians don't want to talk about sex. But this word is in this passage three times. What's the word? Let's all say it together. Virgin. Thank you. Virgin. For some reason, we as Christians really have this hang-up about talking. God created us, male and female. Okay? If you're in here and you don't know what a virgin is, I want to define it in a moment. Okay? Because it's important to the story. God sent this Gabriel, uh, sent Gabriel to Nazareth, town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married. She was kind of in this process of being married. She wasn't married yet to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Okay, now, so often, like I said, so often in a Christian life, for some reason, we have such a hang-up, a talk. I do premarital counseling all the time. I've been doing it for 30-plus years. And I, every, time I, every time I meet with some couple in premarital counseling, you know what I always ask them? One of the things I ask them, I ask them this question. I said, uh, did your parents, I always ask them this, did your parents talk to you? Who talked talk to you about, when I get to that part of the, this is like the third session. Uh, did, did, your, did your parents or anybody talk to you early on about sex? Oh, no, you could say it, okay? And I said, or how did you learn about sex? And most of them will say, well, I learned it in the locker room at school, some girlfriends. You know that about 90% of people I talk to, their parents have never really talked to them, had the talk with them? We have some incredible ignorance about that. And so that being the case, usually I spend a lot of time in premarital counseling talk to them about that just to make sure they understand correct, correctly the view of what, how God created us as male and female. And it's a good thing in the context of a, of a marriage, a marriage, committed marriage relationship. And, and, you know, and so we don't want to use those words. We don't want to use the word sex. We don't use the word virgin. It's kind of like the two boys I read about or heard about one time. Two boys that are like fourth graders, you know. A fourth grader. I don't remember fourth grade, okay. Do you, anybody remember fourth grade here? Some of you do. You know, it was probably traumatic, you know, or something. If you remember it, it's probably traumatic, okay. In the fourth grade, I don't remember this, but there was two boys, and they were in fourth grade. And one of the boys came up to the other boy, and he said, he said, he said, called the other boy. He thought he was going to really call him a dirty name. And he said, you're a virgin. And the other boy said, no, I'm not no virgin. He didn't have a clue what it was all about. And so he gets all upset about it, and he goes home and tells his mom and dad. He said, mom and dad, I'm not a virgin, am I? And about that time, the mom passes out, and the dad throws up his food everywhere because, you know, the kid didn't know what he was talking about. I don't know if I knew what a virgin was in the fourth or fifth grade either. Because my parents never talked to me about any of that stuff. I just say that because this is important in here. Because if you don't know what it is, a virgin, here's what a virgin is. A person who has not had sex. Okay? Now that we all know. Now that we all know, let's go forward. Because that is important to the story. It says, verse 27, The angel came to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, descendant of David. And then he says it again. The 
virgin's name was Mary. Why does he have to say that? Couldn't he say the woman's name was Mary, the girl's name was Mary? No, he wants to let us know twice here already that she was a virgin. Thank you. Okay, we can say that. We said it twice now in church today. Then he goes on, verse 28. 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who were highly favored. The Lord is with you. Let me ask you a question. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. She's stuck in Nazareth, a sick town. She, uh, she's in this arranged relationship. Maybe she likes, we don't know if she likes Joseph or not. But she feels stuck in some ways. Do you think that Mary felt highly favored by God? Blessed by God? Probably not. She didn't feel highly favored. She, she felt stuck. But God was setting her up for a miracle. And I say it to you again. You may feel stuck where you are right now. But the thing is, is if you will say yes to God, God wants to set you up for a miracle in your life. He wants to do something in your life that only he can do. And so often when we can only do it ourselves, things ourselves, we never trust in God. We never grow in our faith in God. And, and, and as you might think, the next verse says this, in verse, verse 29, it says, Mary was what? She was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why is the angel saying you're greatly favored? And then in verse 30, it says this, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Once again, he's about this favor thing. What's he talking about? What's the angel talking about here? And then he gives her the good news. Well, kind of. Once again, put yourself in Mary's shoes at this point. Because this is the good news. Here's the thing that you're highly favored. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. Let me ask you. Is that good news for a virgin that you're going to have a baby? Really? Come on, folks. That would not be good news. You know, you know if, if you're a woman and you knew you were a virgin and you're going like, this is good news from God, I'm going to have a baby, how does that work? And then he says, the angel says this, goes on a little further, kind of fills in some blanks. He will be great. This, this, this child you're going to have, you're going to conceive and, give, uh, conceive and give birth to, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. He's going like, this is not going to be any, just any old baby. This is going to be a special baby, a baby that's going to be somebody that's not, no one has ever been before. And at first, this might not have seemed to be good news to Mary. And I'm sure it didn't feel like good news at first, but what the angel said was true. But not at first, it didn't seem like it was that, that good of a news. And I wonder if Mary still felt like the Lord was with her, even when he, she heard this news. <laughs> and then Mary asked the obvious question, the incredibly obvious question in verse, in verse 34. How, can, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a, third time, virgin. You're going like, really? I didn't really put that. You know, I, I started reading this. I'm going like, when you want to emphasize something, you keep repeating it over and over and over and over. In this passage, it's repeated over and over. She says, you know, I'm a virgin. I can't, how can this be? 
Now let me ask you a question. Is it difficult for a person who's never had sex, who's a virgin, to have a baby? Is it difficult? No, it's not difficult. It's impossible, right? It's impossible. I know I've had people over the years come, come to my office and they'll say things like they're in a crisis mode and they'll go like, I don't know how I got pregnant. You ever heard anybody say that? I have. And, you know, God, and I think, you know, I, I know. You mean draw you some pictures? You mean talk to you about this? I mean, we all know here, right? That if you're a virgin, you can't have a baby. See, it's impossible unless God is involved. It's impossible unless God is involved. And for some of us, we see ourselves in impossible circumstances. And once again, I say, maybe what God is doing is setting us up for a miracle, something that cannot happen unless God intervenes. God wants to do that in our lives. See, I, I, I see it this way. If God can make virgins pregnant, and he also made dead men come to life, if he can do that, he can change your situation. Because it's not as bad as either one of those, or as hard. But you've got to say yes and put it in his hands. See, people keep asking me all these questions about Israel and how it impacted me and everything else. And I shared with you the, the impactful thing a few weeks ago when I got back, and about three weeks ago, I shared about being impacted by the church there in, in Bethlehem, the Arabic Christian church. And how it impacted me was this. I saw them doing things for God that seemed to be impossible. But because God was in it, it made a problem. I want to be pastor of a church who doesn't simply try difficult things. We've tried difficult things. We built a building here. We're getting ready to pay it off here real soon. We're going to free up all kinds of resources. That was difficult. Would you say it wasn't impossible? It was difficult. What would be impossible for us to do? How about this? How about in the next three to five, three to five years, plant three to five new churches? Would that be something we can do? Would it be difficult? It seemed to be impossible because we haven't planted one church. But see, God wants us to do that. The thing is that we need to try the impossible because when we try the impossible, it leaves room for God to do a miracle. And so often all we try to do is the things that we can do in our own power. And here God is doing something that only God can do. And Mary had a question because she knew what the angel was saying was what? It was impossible. No woman that I know has ever gotten pregnant because they went into a room, sat down in a chair and goes, and then a baby pops out. No. Doesn't work that way. Right? It's impossible. It's impossible. But we need to ask God to do the impossible. And then the angel tells her how this is going to happen. She says, how is this going to happen? Verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born, uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. In other words, God says, I'm going to get involved in this situation and I'm going to make it happen because nothing is impossible for me. 
Nothing is impossible for me. Verse 36, even, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who's, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. He's going like, hey, look what I did for, your, uh, for Elizabeth. I made this, this old lady, I allowed her to become pregnant as well in a normal way. And then he says this in verse 37, which is, kind of sums it all up. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. God is saying to Mary this, Mary, I've got an assignment for you. It may be Mission Impossible. I always think about that, and I think about, you know, that silly theme song and the tape burning up and the whole deal. It's, it, and it didn't happen that way with Mary. An angel came, but it was Mission Impossible. And God was asking Mary, Mary, are you willing to take the assignment? Yeah, you're pregnant. I'm sorry, that's done. But are you going to do it in such a way to honor me? Are you going to allow me to work through you, to do something miraculous in in your life? And so I come to kind of wrap this up with two words. These are the two words that really speak speak to me about how it applies to us. Risk and responsibility. Risk and responsibility. Was God asking Mary to take a risk? (laughs) Yeah. Think about her, her reputation was on the line, Right? I mean, come on, folks. How many people do you think really believe that story about God did it when Mary went and told that to people? You ever thought about that? Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I'm going to have the Son of God, but, man, it's, everybody's going to look at me like I'm some kind of freak. And you, you think about this. Everybody, when Jesus was growing up in his family, Everybody still thought one of two things about Jesus and about Mary and Joseph. They thought either Jesus was an illegitimate child or they thought that Mary and Joseph were just lying. That's that's the only obvious things, the only obvious two choices unless a miracle happened. At this point, they were not willing to believe in a miracle, everybody except for Mary and Joseph. The question for God, God asks us, and this is part of the Christmas story that we look at Mary's story, is this. Are you willing to take a risk for God? Because God asks us to take a risk, and his risk is this. God plants something within us. He gives us gifts and talents and abilities and all kinds of things to allow us to do something. He wants us to give birth to those things so that we can, so we can honor and glorify him. And sometimes it means taking a miss. Sometimes it means going against the flow of society. Mary wasn't, after the story was all over, we see this. Mary wasn't worried about the risk. She was more worried about obedience. Are you willing to risk, risk your reputation and step out into the world that needs Jesus and invite people to hear about Jesus? This is a simple thing. Last week we challenged you to do this as well. We had these little boxes here. And we said, hey, what we want you to do is take one of these and it has in it a couple of things. It has a little sheet of some potential things you can put in the box. It has a little card about the services we're going to have next week and about Christmas Eve. And it has a little bow and you put some stuff in there, some goodies or something, and you can give it to somebody that we challenge you to do that. And the reason we challenge you to do that was because of this. Christmas is one of the easiest times of the year to invite people to come. They'll come. More likely than not, they'll come. Are you willing to take a risk of asking somebody? You say, well, I've asked them for five years in a row. It's impossible. (laughs) What you're saying is that you need a miracle. 
And who does miracles? Not us. God, are you willing to take a risk once more? Are you willing to take a risk? And we all take risks all the time. We do. How many of you have ever flown? Most of you. I don't know about you guys. If you fly a lot, I flew back a couple of years ago. I was flying to Florida in the summer. There was a thunderstorm going on, and we went over these thunderheads. And all of a sudden, the plane started doing this. It was started, it'd be flying like, you know, and then, you know, it was just like, it was really fun. I love roller coasters. And uh, not really. I didn't think it was fun at all. And, and my, I could see my wife over there. She was grabbing a hold of the arms of the chair. She about ripped my arm off, and she's not very big. She was terrified. Did it stop us from getting in a plane and flying again? No. You know, flying's right. How many of you drove to church this morning? I, I know the answer to that. All of you did. Are you rode or got in a car? Do you know all the other idiots that are out there driving up and down the road? Do you know how risky it is to allow them to be near you in a car that could, be, could kill you? It's a risk every time. We take risk all the time. We think, oh, it's not a big, no, it's a risk. How many of you have ever fallen in love? Don't raise your hand. Falling in love is a risk. I remember the first time I fell in love was in second grade. Y'all remember that? Beautiful girl. Her name was Sharon. Still remember her. And I, I took a risk. I wrote a note to her. I love you. Do you love me? Check, you know. I was cool like that. The risk was she could say no, and guess what? She said no. It had scarred my life forever because I never asked another girl that until my wife came along, you know, like 20 years later. The reality is, as believers, we should have a willingness to take risk. It should not, let me say this, I say this in love. It should not be our goal as Christians to simply arrive at death safely. Because we serve a God who brought somebody back from death. We serve a God that nothing is impossible with. Christians, I believe, should be the biggest risk takers on the planet because we serve a God who challenges us to take risk in his name. So risk is important. Second responsibility, this is going to be real short. Then we're going to wrap up and close and go home. I understand this. I've never been pregnant. Obvious, right? I'm a guy. But I understand, ladies, and I've been through this with my wife, there's a huge responsibility when you're pregnant, right? Not only for, to take care of your own body, but you've got another body growing inside of you. And as the baby inside starts to grow... God says something to Mary. He says, Mary, I want you, I want to do something through you that nobody else can take credit for. And I'm going to do this, and it's going to grow, and you're going to give birth to a miracle. If you'll just say yes. It's a responsibility that God gave Mary. And she said yes to it. See, what God wants to do through you, through every person, God wants us to, to do something through us that only he can take credit for. Has God done anything in your life that only he could take credit for? Or is everything that you and I have done just simply stuff that we could say, oh, you know, 
I can do that because I'm, God's given me intelligence, he's given me resources, all those type of things. We have to be willing to take on the responsibility that God has given us. And let me say this, if we are followers of Christ, Jesus' last command should be our first priority. Is that true? Jesus' last command should be our first priority. You know what his last command was? Matthew 28. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. That's the thing. That's not just for preachers, by the way. That's for everybody. Go into all the world. And we can get all excited about going into all the world to to somewhere over in in Spain or somewhere over in uh, in Africa or somewhere like that. But you know something else? And I was reading the scripture this week in the message translation. One of my, uh, it's a really favorite, that's a really favorite passage of mine. It says this, and I like the way it says it in the message. In Matthew 10, it says this. Don't begin. So often we say, oh yeah, I'll send money and, and, to, and, go, and to people over there or I'll go on a mission trip somewhere. But you know where it says to begin? It says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. We like to be dramatic. No, go to the lost, confused people right here where? In your neighborhood. In your neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment, and all you need is to keep it going is three meals a day, travel light. He's saying to us, yeah, I mean, what God wants us to do is take a risk to reach the people around us. So how do we do that? We do what Mary did. And what did Mary do? Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know what Mary, what that was? Let me sum it up in one word. Mary said, yes. She said yes to God. And if we're going to do what God calls us to do, we need to say yes to God as well. I didn't finish the story about telling you stuck in Africa, you know. (laughs) We're still stuck in a ditch. No, we're not. You know, I'm here. You know, obviously I got out of the ditch. You know how we got out of the ditch in Africa? Steve Nelson, not only was he a former missionary, but he was also a construction engineer. <laughs> and, uh, and when we got that truck, Steve was used to haul, you know, hauling around big trucks and doing stuff. And so Steve, he says, hold it, we'll, we'll take care of us. See, he was a real man. Real men are never stuck and never lost. Right? At least we say that. No, what Steve said, he says, oh, we'll take care of this. He said, we're stuck here right now, but we can get out of this. So what he does, he gets out of the out of this vehicle he, he actually does something to the wheels I don't know what he did it's a really old truck and, and, and he fixes something and he puts it in low range four wheel drive he tells everybody to get back into the truck I thought that's counterintuitive you know put more weight in there you know and then he gradually we went over these huge boulders and we got out of that place we weren't stuck anymore because he knew how to fix it and I thought about this So often, when we get stuck in life, we don't have four-wheel low range. And the only way we can get unstuck is for God to intervene. And the only way that that God can intervene is for you and I to experience the grace of God. And the only way for you and I to experience the grace of God... Is to say yes to God. God, yes. I want your plan and your purpose for my life, even if it's risky. And I want to take responsibility for that.
And when we do that, God will intervene. He'll work through our lives. And many times, he'll do miracles. He'll do miracles like healing a marriage that people say, there's no hope in this. He'll do things like help us refigure our finances out and, and, and do things that we thought were impossible. He'll do things that we can't even imagine, things that, that so often we feel stuck in. Maybe letting go of an old habit or an addiction. So God tells us to take a risk for him. And how we begin to taking that risk is by saying yes to him. This morning as we close our service, there may be some of you here who feel stuck. Maybe there's something that's been going on in your life for a while. You just need prayer about something. You may be stuck because you've never said yes to God to begin with. Next week, let me tell you, next week, you want to invite every person you know to be here next week. Because we're gonna, the thing, the challenge from Scripture is the challenge to say yes to God. Have, the, answer, the, message, the, uh, the title of the message is, have you said yes to God? And I really believe that God can take what we're going to be doing next week by challenging people with Scripture and encouraging them to take the next step. That this needs to be a time when many, many of you will bring people who are friends who are unchurched, who are maybe far from God. And maybe your risk this week is to ask them. <laughs> Say yes to God. That's the beginning of God working in your life. It was the beginning for Mary. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love and your goodness. We ask that you would just open our hearts to you, God. Help us to become the person you want us to be. Help us to say yes to you, as Mary did. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. And, and, and now, God, as, as, as we sing our closing song and as we go our separate ways, if there's somebody here this morning, God, that feels stuck in some way and needs somebody to pray with them, I pray that they would come forward at the end of the service and, and, and myself and others would be available to, to pray with them as well. But God, right now, wherever we are, we can say yes to you right in our own seat. We don't have to even go anywhere to do that. We just have to, you hear God when we speak to you. You know what's in our hearts. And God, you know how much we desire to be unstuck. So guide us now, God. Help us to make the, take the challenge that you have before us to say yes to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.